So have you ever heard any of these or have you ever felt any of these as I say these? I don't need any help. Any of those of you that kids at that age, <laughs> right? I don't need your help. Or I got this or let me do this myself. Or there's the flip side of it is I don't know what to do. I'm in real trouble here and I don't know how to get out of it. I'm so lonely that I just can't take it. I just feel like I'm on my own all the time. Or maybe I just feel troubled. My spirit is not at peace. I think we've all probably felt some of these things at some time on either side of the coin. And we've experienced and worked with people on either side of the coin. Now, like I said, in our series, we're in the book of John, but this is Palm Sunday. And in the church calendar, this is the week right before Jesus goes to be crucified. And so as we're looking at this passage, one of the reasons we picked this passage the week before Easter is because this is Jesus' last kind of will and testament, his last message, his last discussion with his disciples before he's going to be crucified. And not only is he going to be crucified, right, he's going to leave. He's going to go away. And can you imagine the kind of feeling they might have after three years of this kind of intense relationship and then for him just to like literally disappear? It would be like a, a relationship that you had of, a, of the greatest intensity, and all of a sudden one day that person just was, got in a car and drove away. And you, never, you weren't sure if you were ever going to see them again. And so Jesus knows that he's going to depart, and he's now wanting to give them one last kind of blitz, I guess, of teaching to help them know what's going to happen next so that they can have some confidence that this is all going to turn out okay. Because what they're about to experience in just a few days is probably the most confusion and the most despair and the most discouragement they will ever face in their lives. And the depth of it is going to be so deep that they're going to be like, what is going on? This is not how I saw this turning out. And they're going to need to be able to have something, or we're going to find out, someone who can come alongside and comfort them and strengthen them and encourage them in the midst of all of that. So that's kind of the context of this passage this morning, getting them prepared for what is going to be the deepest, darkest, well, deepest, darkest event in human history, and then it's going to turn to be something different, but they don't know it at the moment. All right, so here's what Jesus says in verse 14, and we're going to break this down, and there's a lot of repeats, so you got to stick with me, and we're going to hopefully bring this all together at the end, and it'll make sense to you, and it'll bring you some encouragement and some strength today. And whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, the old passages said, barely, barely, what he's really saying is, listen up, <laughs> this is important. So whenever you see that in scripture, Jesus is emphasizing that you really need to listen. And this is what he says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now Jesus, again, is about to leave. And here's what one of the commentators says and how he puts it. Jesus would leave behind a victorious working family of followers who would spread his kingdom to more people and places than Jesus ever would in his life and ministry. When he says you can do greater things than this, what he's saying is you're going to be able to, after I send you my spirit, which we're going to hear about, now all of a sudden hundreds and thousands and eventually millions of people are going to be out sharing that gospel 
and, and places that Jesus couldn't physically go to each of those places. So he's saying, when I go away, God's got this great plan, and he's going to send the Spirit, and now all of you are going to multiply and go out. If you're a math person, you should try this sometime. If you, put, if you figured that I would lead 1,000 people a month to Christ, and you think about my lifetime, and you think that's a big number, and you could put that in your calculator, and you'll find out it's a big number, but it's not the whole world. But if I discipled one person, and then the next year the two of us went out and we discipled two new people, and the next year the four of us went out, and if you did that math, you will be shocked how quickly we would reach the world for Christ. Because God in his economy said multiplication is the way to do it. And the way I'm going to multiply, he said, is I'm going to fill people with my spirit. And I'm going to send them out to do the work. And it's a beautiful and a, an amazing picture that Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater things because I leave. And you're going to be freaked out by that, but I'm going to leave and you're going to be able to do greater things. And he says, asking in my name, if you ask anything in my name, now I, I do believe that. In this context, um, sometimes we get this mixed up a little bit, and we think this is the passage that when my, I'm behind on my mortgage, this is the passage that I, I pray, because if I pray in his name, he'll do anything I ask. Or if I'm having this relational problem, or I, we should pray on all of those things. But I think in this passage, what he's saying is, when you pray for my kingdom work to be done, it's going to happen. And so one of the things that I've been really convicted of lately is, am I praying enough that God would reach this community for Christ? Because I believe this passage is saying if we do that and ask in his name, he's going to do it. Because that's his plan. He said, the, the works that I am doing, greater ones you're going to do. And the works that he is doing is drawing people to himself so that people could be saved and born again and know the gospel so that they could honor and glorify the Father. So... What I find myself lacking sometimes is asking that the Father would reach people for Christ. Isn't that crazy? You'd think your pastor would be doing that all the time. But it's easy sometimes, because I'm sure you find yourself there too, to forget to say, no, wait a minute. He's saying, if I ask in his name, he's going to do it. Whatever it is that will glorify the Father and people coming to faith will glorify the Father. He says, greater works you will do if I go up to the Father. So he's telling his disciples, getting them ready, the reason I'm going away, so that you can do even greater things than I am doing, because I'm in the flesh, and in the flesh I'm stuck to one place at one time. Right? When Jesus came in the flesh, in the body, he wasn't finding himself in all different places in the world. He was right there, right then. And what he's saying is I'm going to bring a, a group of people and I'm going to transform them so that they can go out in mass and do the world the work of the father now this is really interesting how he moves though after this in verse 15 he says if you love me you'll keep my commandments the outward working of our love for Jesus is that we'll keep his commandments it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say if you love me you're going to have all kinds of warm and fuzzy feelings towards me in fact, he doesn't even seem to say you need to have all this affection towards me. What he's saying is that if you love me, it will manifest itself in you being obedient to me. And we're going to see more about that throughout the passage, so I'm just going to leave it there and we'll come back to it. But we're going to see this picture that that's what loving Jesus looks like, is being obedient to Jesus. And then he's going to tell his disciples this, wonderful picture of what's going to happen and he tells him in verse 16 
And I'm going to ask the Father, okay, keep these straight now. we got the Trinity going here. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, and that's the Spirit, and he's going to be with you forever. And he's the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and how will you know him? He dwells within you, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. So now we got to slow this down because there's a lot there. So Jesus is going to ask the Father, and he's going to ask the Father to give a helper, one who comes alongside, and I want you to think about this term helper, is really one who strengthens and supports and empowers. So he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send the helper who we know to be the Spirit, and he's going to help strengthen you, support you, and empower you, disciples, through all the things that are going to come your way in the next number of days. And this spirit, the third part of the Trinity, is going to be with you, he says, what? For how long? Forever. That's a pretty long time. Forever is what? Forever. <laughs> that spirit is going to be with you and dwelling you forever. He's not going to abandon you. What, what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that they will not be alone. His physical presence will be gone, but they will not be alone, which is an important word for us to hear today as well. And then, this isn't just any, this is the third part of the Trinity, but he is also, he says, the truth. So this spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is the truth. The embodiment of all truth is going to be in us so that we will have knowledge and understanding of the truth. And it says, then he says, and you will know him. That's a beautiful thing. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. The spirit's going to come into you. He's going to be the spirit of truth. And he's going to open up your eyes so that you can actually know him. And not only will you be able to know him, you will be able to listen to him. And, and he will be with you and you will be with him. This takes us back in the thread. If you've been with us in the thread, I'm jumping us back to Ezekiel 36 where this is what Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you something new. And it's this great picture that Jesus says, I got to go away so that this spirit will come and indwell you. Now, Charles Spurgeon, you know, Charles Spurgeon puts things always in ways that you're just like, man, why didn't I think of that, <laughs> right? Because he's Charles Spurgeon. But if you ever want to read him, preacher of the old days, but here's what he says. And just get this picture now of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I'm right here next to you, but that's not even close enough. He says, between Christ on earth and his disciples was a distance. What a distance there was. They're standing right there. But there's still a huge distance. In his condescension, he came very near to them. In his coming down from heaven, he came very near. But yet you're always perceived, uh, we could always see a gulf between the master and the foolish disciples. Right? There's this gulf. Jesus is standing there teaching them stuff. And they're like, uh-huh, I don't, I don't get, oh, I get that part. I don't get that part. You know, if you've been reading your scriptures, you know how that thing is going between Jesus and his disciples. Sometimes he goes, are you so dull? I've been telling you over and over, you don't get it? Uh, no, we don't really get it. <laughs> and then other times they're like, whoa, we get it. You're the Christ, you know. I mean, there's just this up and down and up and down. And Jesus is standing right there next to him, right? 
You think if Jesus would stand there right next to us, we would all get it. But here's the beauty of what Charles Spurgeon says next. Now the Holy Ghost annihilates that distance by his dwelling in us. The beautiful part is that now the Holy Spirit, that distance is no longer there. His Spirit is in us. I grew up in the church, right? And I grew up thinking, man, I've been so, if I was, if I was walking with Jesus and saw him, my faith would be so strong and I would believe everything and blah, blah, blah. Well, his disciples didn't do that and they walked right with him because what I needed really was the Spirit living in me. And I just love that how he says it, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit annihilates the distance. There's no longer any distance. The Spirit of the living God can live in us. And Jesus is saying that this is so important because what they're going to feel like in the next few days is they're going to feel like orphans. And so he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. You're going to feel like that, but I'm going to come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. So again, man, when you're reading through scripture, sometimes it's better just to stop at two verses and just spend some time picking it apart and not reading the whole section. Because there's some powerful stuff right there. He's saying, I'm not going to abandon you and leave you like an orphan. He's using this family analogy and a picture that we can maybe get of a, of a baby being abandoned and left. And he says, I'm not going to do that because you're my family. You're my children. I wouldn't do that to my children. I'm not going to leave you to fend for yourselves. I, I love you and I wouldn't do that to you. Others aren't going to see me, but he's, a, he's telling them, but you will. You will see me. And then there's this little phrase, because I live, you also will live. And he's saying, others won't see me, but you will, and your living, it all hinges on me being alive. And guess what? I'm going to be alive. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise from the dead, and your life hinges on that, and I want you to be assured that you will also live, because I am going to live. So rest assured, you don't have to worry. You're going to do more, but then it gets even farther, because you're going to do more than just live. He goes, because I live, you're going to live, but guess what? In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, you read the passage like that again, and you stop and you go, okay, what's up? <laughs> you know, in that day, that I'm in the Father, and you and me, and I in you, just slow down and take a look. He gives this powerful and beautiful picture of spiritual unity. Listen, he's saying, Jesus is saying, the Father and I are united. We are so united that we are one. And we're united with the Spirit so such a way that the three of us are one. And we can't even comprehend it. We've tried to explain it over the years, and it's hard to even explain. But he's talking about this beautiful unity that he and the Spirit and the Son have all with the Father. But then, get this, not only will we live because he lives... He says, you're going to be united with me. So I'm united with the Father. And he says to his disciples, you're going to be united with me. United in, in such an intimate way that we can't be separated. Just like the Trinity. This unique, this unique unity that you can't hardly even explain that Jesus and you and I have if we are in Christ. And, and then he says... And so you are in me, and I am going to be in you. Man, that's an amazing thought. 
that I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in me and there is a unity that is brought by the Spirit, this bond that cannot be broken. And it will be forever, he says up in the earlier verses. So this beautiful picture of why I'm going away so that you will know that I and the Father are in unity and united and then you're going to know that you are in me and I am in you and there is a unity there that is unbreakable because the Spirit is the one that comes in and grabs on the Spirit of Jesus and even when I'm not holding on so tight, the good news today is that the Spirit of Jesus is holding on really, really tight. He's got a death grip, (laughs) the kind of grip that I can't pry his fingers off, the devil can't pry his fingers off, the world can't pry his fingers off. He's got us. He's holding on. He's trying to say to his disciples, in a little bit, I'm going to go to the cross, and you're going to feel overwhelmed, and you're going to feel like I abandoned you, and I want you to know that I'm coming back in the spirit, and I'm going to grip onto your spirit, and I'm not letting go. It's a powerful picture. And then he tells us that when that happens, this is what it will look like. It will look maybe a little different than we might think. Verse 21, he says, Then whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So he's saying this is a spiritual unity, and it is a real reality And he's saying, Jesus is united to the Father, and we're united to Jesus. And when that happens, what it will look like is that we will love Jesus. And what loving Jesus looks like is being obedient to the things that he taught. Loving Jesus produces obedience to what he taught and what he's all about, so that we're about the things that Jesus is about. And then the result of loving Jesus is that we'll be loved by the Father. So when I love Jesus, the Father loves me as well. And then he says what? We'll be loved by Jesus. So, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I'm going to manifest myself to him. I'm going to show myself to those who love me. And when, we're, when we love Jesus, we'll be loved by him, and he will manifest and make himself known. And if you've lost me, come back, because this is important now. As we're kind of making the shift, we're midway point here. What's going to happen, he's saying, is I'm going to also make myself known to you in a way that is going to bring peace and encouragement and strength. So in this loving relationship, one of the things that we get from it is not only that Jesus loves us, but that he's going to make himself known to us. He's going to appear to us. He's going to help us in a spiritual sense to know and experience him in a profound way. And this is one thing that's really important is that it's in a very tangible way. And that's what's hard for us sometimes that, you know, sometimes we feel like God is far away, right? But there is an experience of knowing him and knowing his presence and knowing that he's there. And this is where we can pray and say, help me to experience you and to know you in a greater way. And so when we get in those places where we've all been, right, and maybe you're there right now where you feel like, whoa, he is so far away, I don't think that he's close to me at all. Jesus hasn't moved one bit. Where the moving is is in our hearts. And what this passage is helping us see is that I can cry out to him and pray to him and say, listen, I need you to manifest yourself to me. I had a conversation with a friend recently who said, 
I just need him to show himself to me. And guess what? We prayed about it, and guess what happened? <laughs> Later that week, he goes, okay, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to show up in a vision or in a dream, but I am saying, and those who have experienced this can attest to the fact that there are times when there is a peace and a strength and a knowledge that the spirit of the living God is at work in me. And I know his presence. And he has manifested himself to me. And I know he's real and I know he's there. And so I want to invite you to come to that place of being able to say, Lord, I just need, I need your manifestation. I need you to, to tangibly come with your spirit and bring me comfort or strength or knowledge or whatever it is that you're needing at this moment. And the spirit of the living God isn't going to say, oh, not today. <laughs> the spirit of the living God is going to meet you there. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples ready because they're going to need it. They're going to need him to manifest himself to them. And they're going to need to remember that the love that he has for them. And they're going to need his strength to be able to love him well. But there's this beautiful picture. And he who loves me, be loved by the Father, I'll love him. And I'll manifest myself to him. And then verse 22 Judas, not Iscariot. How would you like to have the name Judas in the New Testament? And they always have to put that little parenthesis around to make sure you know which one it is. He said, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How will we know this? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he answers in a unique way, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make himself make a home with him. So how will we know? If you love me, you're going to follow what I've said and keep my commandments. My Father will love you, and he's going to come and make a home with you. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And he's saying, this is God speaking to you through me. And this is how it's going to work. There is this love that the Trinity has for us. But anyone who loves, it will be evident by being obedient to the word of God. He says, when you're at that place, the Father is going to love you, and he's going to meet you there. This is what F.F. F. Bruce says. He says, we'll come to him and make our home with him when the scripture says that. Where love and obedience are shown, the presence of God and of Christ is realized. The Father and the Son together make their home with each of the children of God. And, and when he makes that home, he will transform us and change us into places where we're being obedient. Now, here's the thing. When we don't love, okay, one who does not love and doesn't keep my commandments, what does that mean for us? Listen to this. If you're having a disobedience problem, it isn't really a disobedience problem, is it? It's a problem with love. Throughout the thread, the people of Israel, the issue was not their disobedience. The disobedience was the symptom and the problem Israel had is that they did not love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. And because they did not, then it was easy to go after the idols. Because they did not, it was easy to ignore the poor and the oppressed. Because they did not, it was easy to do all the things that were not obedience to, to what God had said. But here's the thing now. It, don't lose me on this. because This is really important. But the solution isn't to try harder. Okay? The solution... And I grew up 
in the church, and I grew up in a background where I knew how to grit my teeth and try really hard. And while gritting my teeth and trying really hard, sometimes I had success, but most of the time I didn't, right? Because what the solution is, is for Jesus and his love to come into our lives and to change us and to transform us. So the solution to our disobedience is to grow in our love for Jesus. And we'll look a little bit at the end about how we might be able to, to wrestle with that, what that might look like, but it is certainly not gritting our teeth and trying harder. It is falling on our knees and going, Spirit of the living God, I got, I got some problems here, <laughs> and I need some help, because I've been trying and trying and trying, and I need your spirit. And I need your spirit to, to not just take away this sinful thing. I need your spirit to help me to love Jesus more than I love this thing. I worked in the recovery world for two and a half years, and you wouldn't believe how many people in recovery, their, their families would say this, you love your drug more than you love me. You children would come, grown children, and say to an adult man, because I was working with men, that you loved you love meth more than you loved me. Now, sin and addictions, those things are hard things, but they had a point, right? They had a point that you wanted this more than you wanted this. This is where we find ourselves with Jesus, right? That I want this more than I want Jesus. And so the real issue in obedience to Jesus, the real solution is to grow in our love for Jesus. That we love him more than we love those other things. And so then Jesus says this to them in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, now he's getting down and giving us a clear picture. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and he's going to bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit, the Father's going to send him. He's going to send him in Jesus' name. He's going to be the helper. He's going to be the one who strengthens and supports He's going to be present in the times of joy and victory. When you're having those moments of what we might call the mountaintop or the upside of things, I want you to rejoice because the Spirit can help you rejoice in those things. So when we're having joy and victory, we should rejoice and say to the Spirit, thank you for letting me experience that. On the same hand, when we're in our need and struggle, we go to the Spirit and say, I'm in trouble, I need some help. On both sides of the coin, we want to be able to say, this is the Spirit. When I've had those really good moments, is it because I've had a lot of sleep? Is it because I've eaten right? Is it because, no, when I've had those places, the Spirit is giving me joy and peace and victory, and I want to rejoice in that. When I'm struggling, is it only because of all these other things, or is it because I haven't been seeking the Spirit to help me in the struggle? And Jesus is trying to get his disciples ready for a, a lot of stuff that's going to be coming at them. And then it tells us he's going to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus taught. So when I'm in those places, I'm crying out to the Spirit, help me to remember the truth, because you're the truth. And then he says this, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace. He's going to the cross, and he's going there peacefully, and he's going there knowing it's the will of the Father. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world because they don't give you peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He knew fear was just around the corner. He says, I'm going to give you a peace, an inner experience of well-being, the being of the spirit and mind and soul that is at rest. When he's talking about peace in the scriptures, often talk about a wholeness, 
all things are in order and a place of rest. Not peaceful circumstances, because they're not going to get that. It's often what we want. The mode of Jesus' death will not be peaceful. He's calling them to not let their hearts be troubled or be, to be afraid, because the Spirit can bring them peace and a confidence in the midst of trial. And then I'm just going to wrap up with this. This is what he said. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going away because I'm going back to the Father. For the Father is greater than I and I get to go back and be with him. And now I have told you, but before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'm telling you ahead of time so that when it happens, you'll have faith and believe. I will no longer talk to you much. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, but he makes it really clear. This is a little subtle thing that's important at Easter. He has no claim over me. The ruler, Satan, is going to be reigning here a little bit, but he doesn't have any rule or reign over me. I'm going to the cross by my own will. I'm going to the cross because it's the Father's will. Nobody's taking me to the cross. The Romans aren't crucifying me. The, the Jews aren't crucifying me. Satan's not crucifying me. I'm going to the cross. I'm in charge here. <laughs> and he says, I won't talk to you much longer. The one, the ruler of this world, he has no claim, but I do as the Father has commanded. Remember, we've talked a little bit about Jesus being perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. The Father's commanded me to do this, and I'm going to do it, so that the world might know that I love the Father. Isn't that interesting? His obedience, his love for the Father comes out in obedience to the Father. The same thing that we're called to do. I love that last part. I'm going to be obedient to the Father so that the world might know that I love the Father. His obedience was all about being an example and displaying his love for the Father. He says, so let's go. Let's rise up and go. All right, so I'm going to pull this together with a little bit of a summary and then I hope some application. Here's the summary. The followers of Jesus have the opportunity to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. We, his children, his followers, through the power of the Spirit, get to do greater things than even Jesus did if we want to be about that. So the followers of Jesus have the opportunity to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Those who love Jesus will keep his commandments. That the Spirit helping us, not on our own, but the Spirit helping us will bring us to obedience, and that's our demonstration of love for Jesus. Third, Jesus is not leaving us as orphans, but leaving so that the Holy Spirit will come. He, he left so that the Father would send the Spirit to dwell in his children. Fourth, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to unite us with Jesus. It's the Spirit that brings us a, a unity with Jesus. And the Spirit will empower us to obey. It's all based on the Spirit. The Spirit will comfort us and bring us peace. The Spirit will remind us of the teachings of Jesus. And the Spirit is the presence of Jesus himself in our lives. Oh, it would be great someday to put our arms around Jesus. But I'm telling you, Jesus is living in me. That's pretty, pretty great. Pretty, pretty awesome. How do we apply it? I'm going to encourage you to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the work of his kingdom that he wants you to do. What does he want you to do? And ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. That's just a simple place to start. Holy Spirit, what works of the kingdom do you want me to be about? And then I'm going to need your help to do it. The second, 
is what areas of disobedience to Jesus are you struggling with? What are the areas of sin that maybe you're wrestling with or attitude? Or I'll just let you, let the Spirit talk to you about it. But what areas of disobedience are you struggling with? Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to have greater love for Jesus. Don't ask the Holy Spirit to take this away. Ask him to give you a greater affection for Jesus, which will take that away. <laughs> okay? It won't happen any other way. And then third, do you need peace and comfort and strength? I just got one thing to say to you. Ask the Spirit for help. I think I capped all that, right? <laughs> well, how many times do we need peace and comfort and strength and we forget to say, Jesus, help me. Are you struggling with doubt? Ask the spirit of truth. Remember that's in the passage. Ask the spirit of truth to remind you of the truth of what Jesus has taught. When you're doubting and you're struggling there, ask the spirit to remind you of the truth of the scripture and to help you to believe. And finally, ask the Holy Spirit to make the person and presence of Jesus real to you. It was such an awesome thing, like I said, with this friend recently. I just need him to speak to me and to know that his, and feel and experience his presence. And then it happened. And we were both kind of like, wow, it happened. <laughs> Ye of little faith. Ask the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need to experience your presence. I need to know that you're real. I believe it, but I, right now I need the experience of your presence. And just cry out to him and let him speak to you through his spirit. This last week, uh, the pastoral staff was all down at a conference down in the cities for the Evangelical Free Church, the District of Minnesota. Minnesota is the largest district of the free church in the whole country, and a big gathering. I had a great time seeing all kinds of former students who are pastors now and old pastor friends, and yeah, so that was a part was a lot of fun. But one of the things that we did was each session we read through the statement of faith of the Evangelical Free Church, and there was something that was just really cool to stand there and affirm and to read the truths of the, of the scripture on these different categories of theology that we believed as a free church. And so Pastor Kyle was going to do this over at Lincoln Park too, and we, think it was, we just thought it was a neat opportunity to read something together. And so, Jenny, I think, do we have one more slide? Let's see if it, if it pops up. If not, I'll just read it then. So... And, and, and this was the, the free church's statement on the Holy Spirit, all right? And it just pulls it all together to remind us what the Spirit is all about. So we'll see. I'll give it 10 seconds, and then I'll read it. Oh, we lost the whole thing. <laughs> That's okay. I'll read it to us. And I'm just going to invite you to. It's up. All right. Let's read it together, all right? We believe that the Holy Spirit and all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. The Holy Spirit of the living God living in us. Amen.